Good morning, everyone. To those of you in the room, the few, the brave, welcome. To those of you that are online, welcome. Glad you're with us this morning. Uh, If you want to take your Bible, would you go ahead and open to Hebrews chapter 13. We are finishing our series this morning, Hebrews 13. And uh, I'll give you a second to turn there. If, if you have, uh, if you're either newer to our family or maybe you've just never noticed, we have a pattern that we tend to follow uh, because we want to spend the majority of our time going through a book in the Bible. So January, we'll start a book and usually we'll finish that in the end of August. And then if it's long enough, we'll go into another year. And then when August comes, sometime August, September, we'll shift focus a little bit do something theological, topical, dealing with important things of the moment. Christmas, we always spend five sessions on Jesus. Easter, we always spend three sessions on Jesus. That way we make sure that he's part of every calendar that we're looking at. That's kind of the structure that we go with. So we're wrapping up Hebrews. We're gonna start a series on the church that Jesus died for. What does that look like? And we'll be going through that over the next bit of time. Then we'll have Christmas after the first of the year. We'll begin a new series in the book of Mark. So for those of you that like to know what's coming down the pike, there you go. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. And I just wanna read these verses to us to get us going. So if you follow along, we'll start in verse 20 with the benediction, it's a prayer of blessing. It says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, excuse me, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. I appeal to you brothers, bear with my word of exhortation for I have written to you briefly You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Okay, so we come to the conclusion of this towering uh, letter that has so much powerful and profound theology in it about Jesus and about the cross and about God's eternal plan. And then he finishes with this prayer of blessing and then a few kind of remarks, if you will. So let me just walk us through briefly those final greetings. Um, They are kind of the polite, hey, here's how I'm doing, how are you doing, say hi to everyone, but they're significant. They're not simply polite. He's saying important things. So along there, Timothy has obviously been in prison. He's been released and they may not know that. Timothy's in a different place than the author, and he's in a, also in a different place than the, the Hebrews, but he's heading towards them, and so he says, hey, Timothy's coming. Hopefully, we'll get to hook up together, and we'll come to you together. The author of the book of Hebrews has been amongst these people before. He was one of their leaders. He's hoping to return, so he's letting them know that, and he's saying, hey, greet the people there for me. The people here greet you, and as always, may you have God's grace. And that's kind of how he wraps it up. But there's one little phrase in there that I think is, is uh, enlightening, and I find it encouraging anyway. It's right in the beginning of chapter tw- uh, verse 22 where it says, I appeal to you brothers or brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Now, um, remember these uh, letters in the New Testament were actually meant to be read out loud. So the book of Hebrews would have been delivered like a sermon. And he's saying to them, hey, thanks for being patient. It's just a short sermon. And if you were to read the book of Hebrews out loud as a sermon, 
it would be just under an hour. So there's obviously been a tension since the very beginning of the church. The, the, you know, the preacher wants to say as much as he can. If I only had five more minutes, I could tell you this. And the audience is like, we're done. We're done. Can we be done? And uh, he's saying, look, I, I get it, but it's a short sermon. And I also want you to notice his definition of a short sermon because this is actually the inspired word of God. So I want you to give me credit. Every single time I preach less than an hour, it's just a short sermon. So be patient. And as far as I know, I've never preached a sermon that was an hour. So I've always preached a short sermon. I, like, I find this encouraging, don't you? So briefly, let's look at the rest of this passage. And I want to back up to the benediction because that's where we're going to spend our biggest attention. And let me just read it again, this prayer of blessing. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now it's a wonderful blessing. It's one that we sometimes will end a service praying over um, all of us. And uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's filled with these wonderful truths, but after we've gone through all of these incredible passages in Hebrews, it would be easy for us to kind of look at that and go, oh, that's nice, what a sweet way to end the book. Or, you know, it almost feels a little bit like an afterthought, like the cherry on top, the personal cherry on top of this amazing theological tome, and, and kind of almost not be completely dismissive of it, but not give it the same gravitas that we've given the rest of the book, and in reality, it's not an afterthought, it's not the cherry on top, it's actually the culmination. This prayer is the culmination of everything that's gone before. And in order for us to understand that, we're gonna have to arrive at that in a few minutes. So you can leave your Bible open there, but I wanna back us up so that we can get a running start to wind up there and see how that's the culmination actually of everything God is doing. That's what he's praying. He's praying a blessing that everything God is doing would become true for you and true in your experience. And in order to, to get there, I think an observation needs to be made. We live in a Goldilocks world. Right? Uh, psychologists will talk about the Goldilocks principle or, or behavioral scientists that, that says when things are just right, you can do this. Or uh, planetary scientists talk about Earth actually being a Goldilocks world. It's just right, so that's why life is here. And it's referring back to the fairy tale, which is probably familiar, but in case you're not familiar with it, I'll quickly summarize. There's this little girl wandering in the forest, comes across a house, and uh, she's a very rude little girl, actually. She's the hero of the story, but she's very got bad behavior. She goes into the house, uninvited, looks around. On the table, there's three bowls of oatmeal, and uh, she starts eating the food. And she goes to the first bowl, it's too hot, goes to the second bowl, it's too cold, third bowl, just right, so she eats it, and she eats it all. It's all gone, and she suddenly realizes that was good, but now there's no more and I'm tired. So she gets up from the table, goes into the next room, and there are three chairs in the room. It's like, well, I'm gonna sit down and take a rest. So she gets in the first chair that's too tall, the second chair is too short, the third chair is just perfect, and she sits in it, and as she shifts her weight, 
it splinters underneath her and it's, it's lying in shatters on the floor and she's like, oh, I'm still tired. And so she goes into the next room and there are three beds. And so she gets in the first bed, she you know, rearranges the pillows and gets under the covers and all of that, and gets herself just right, and it's like, oh, I can't get comfortable, it's too hard. So then she does the same thing with the next bed, it's too soft, and then the third bed, she gets in, she arranges everything, she, she snuggles down, and she falls fast asleep because it's just right. But what Goldilocks doesn't know is that the house is actually owned by three bears who left for a little while to let their oatmeal cool and they've come back to the house, they find oatmeal eaten, they find a destroyed chair, they go into the bedroom and there's Goldilocks in the bed and when she wakes up, there's three bears towering over her and she runs for her life out the door and she's a hero. Somehow we tell that story to our kids, I'm not sure why, but The Goldilocks principle and the Goldilocks zone and the Goldilocks planet is all kind of based on that. And I think those principles and the scientists have it actually wrong. Because what they're doing is they're looking at the story of Goldilocks and say, this is just right. But we live in a real Goldilocks world. And the real story of Goldilocks is mostly it's not. Mostly things aren't right. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too high, it's too low too hard, it's too soft. Every once in a while, when we work at it, we can get things for a little while where it's satisfying, but then it's gone. Where we get comfortable, but then the world collapses beneath us. Where we finally find peace and rest, and we wake up to find bears towering over us, and we're running for our lives. That's the world we actually live in. We live in a Goldilocks world, where there's a lot of things that are really kind of cool and kind of nice, and they're fleeting, and we pursue them and we can't quite nail them down, and no sooner do we have it than we don't. And life actually turns out to be a lot of fight. Have you noticed that, how we even use fight a lot in our vocabulary, right? I'm fighting a cold right now. You know, I keep doing that and keep doing that. I'm, I'm fighting the tendency I have to do this. Man, I am fighting loneliness. Well, I don't know about you guys, but we are just fighting for family time. It is so hard to get. We describe so many things in terms of a fight. We feel like we're fighting uphill, and if we could only have a fighting chance, it would be good. That's the world we live in. And even in the good moments, there's always going to be some fight somewhere. My last week was actually a really good week. It was a good week. I would describe it that way. It felt that way to me. And yet I found myself in a variety of fights during the week. One of them, it 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 was stupid, right? That's the technical word for it. It was stupid. But I found myself in this fight. I had to, it was a simple project. It was not complicated Um, It shouldn't have been anyway, and yet I was struggling. I was struggling. First off, I was disappointed I had to do the thing in the first place. Very basic action, shouldn't have taken more than about 10 minutes, but I was already disappointed I had to do it, and then it got complicated. It wasn't working, so then I grew frustrated, and I had to fight my frustration. I kept working with it, and it didn't get any better, so then I got angry, and I had to fight my anger. And then the thing about anger is it so easily turns to sin, and so then I have to find myself fighting the tendency to sin in my heart. Before I'd finished this simple project, I'd broken two things and injured myself, and I was mad at the world. 
And it was, it was dumb. If I told you what it was, you'd go, dude, you're pathetic. <laughs> that was really dumb. But it's, have you never had that experience? Have you been someplace or done something? And it's just not going right. It's like, ah. And one challenge leads to the next, leads to the next. And not only do we have the, the battle of, of just making life work, there's the internal heart battle that goes with it. Something a little bit more substantial in my life this week, wrestling with, you see, there's another word we use a lot, right? Wrestling, right? I was wrestling with, does God want this action from me? And thinking he probably does. And, and you know, I've, I've told God anything you want, I'll do that. And, and I mean that. By his grace, I try to do that. But sometimes it takes me a little while to catch up. Sometimes I'm like, is that really, is that really what you want? Are you, are you sure? Can you be a little bit more clear? Right? So it was one of those things where I'm wrestling. Are you really asking that of me? Because I don't like, I mean, I like the idea. It's a cool idea. But it's going to cost me. I don't want it to cost me. I don't want to sacrifice like that. I don't, and, and I find myself in a battle. Life is a Goldilocks life. It's hard to find that just right zone and it goes away pretty quickly and I find myself fighting again. My life this week was pretty good but I had a lot of interactions with people for whom it was much heavier. Talking with people, visiting people, trying to encourage people who find themselves, some of them, in, in, in places where they're just fighting for even some modicum of normalcy in life because horrible things have happened. Some are even actually literally fighting for their lives. And they have to do that, not just the external battle of dealing with the circumstances, but the internal battle of the heart. And it's a challenge. Um, probably a lot of you know by now, but if you, if you haven't heard yet, Rich Siemens, who's a longtime member of our church, went to be with Jesus this week. And it was a long fight that he had, years. And his wife, Gracie, was by his side, and it was a long fight for her. I was with them actually not too long before he passed. And they just looked really tired because it's a hard journey. People of deep faith, people of deep spiritual integrity. But it was a battle. And now Rich has been freed from the battle. He's with Jesus. And Gracie has a whole new battle walking with Jesus in this phase. And I'm sure she will do very well at it, but it is a, it's a fight. Yesterday was a service for Pete Margosian, who passed a little while ago. His family's in the same place. There's this, there's this fight. How do I do this life? How do I do it well? How do I do it right? How do I get into that just right zone where not just my circumstances, but my heart and everything else line up? because we live in a Goldilocks world where that's really hard to get to. And the reality is it's not the way it was. It's not the way it started. When God created us, he created us to thrive and to be a blessing. And he created this world so that that would be true. And then most of all, he created us for relationship with him and for partnership with him that would anchor everything. And when Adam and Eve were brought into the world, it was a wonderful world. God had done his creating, and at periodic moments, he would look at what he'd created, he said, wow, that's good. 
Wow, that's good. Wow, that's good. And then at the culmination point where he's finished and he's put Adam and Eve there, he says, that's really good. First thing he does is he blesses them and he gives them a vision for what their life is supposed to be. They are supposed to, they were created for relationship and they were created for partnership, right? I've, 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 I've planted this garden. There's this place where we can be together regularly. This is where everything is gonna go out from, your union with me. And, and, and I, can, I can show up in the cool of the evening and we can walk and we can talk and we can share life and we can talk about what's going on and, and you can go out from here and fulfill the partnership vision that we're together going to take this world that I've given you and make it even better. Make it even more beautiful. Take what's here and develop it and complete it. And I want you to do that because it's gonna be honoring to me and it's gonna be fulfilling for you and it's gonna be great. In fact, that's why we all, every one of us, has within us certain drives, even though, even though sin has kind of messed things up, and, and it looks a little different in each of us, but we all have the same kind of desires. I want to make a difference. I want to be significant. I, I, I want to do something that matters. I, I want to I grow something, whether it's my garden or my family or my business. I want to build something. I want to develop something. I want to do something beautiful and creative. I love, I just love What's actually good? I love truth. I love all these things. These are part of what God designed for us to represent him in the world, in his image, to, in partnership with him, in this, in this ongoing intimate relationship, to take what he's given us and do some amazing things with it. That's what we're made for. That's when it was actually just right. But then... And I know we know this story. It's important to remember this as we come to Hebrews. Then when sin entered in the world, what Adam and Eve actually did was they said, we want to redefine, we want to unilaterally redefine the relationship. And we don't like the partnership. We want to relate to you the way we want to relate to you. And you can't tell God, you get to be a part of my life, you just can't be God. You just can't be in control. There's no relationship there. And, and, and they weren't equipped to take control. They said, we want to describe what's right. We want to define what's right. We want to do things according to our plan, according to our will. We know best. We know right and wrong. And here's how we're going to do it. And everything fell apart. Everything was a train wreck. And every problem and every difficulty and every fight that you and I have, in one way or another, goes back to that. The fact that we live in a Goldilocks world and we keep trying and we keep trying and we keep trying to find that just right zone and we can't find it goes back to that. And the thing is, in that moment, God did not abandon us. He did not abandon his people. He had a plan he was working out. And every once in a while, every once in a while, he'd peel back the curtain or he'd whisper in somebody's ear and said, here's what's coming. Here's what I'm doing. All right, so he tells Adam and Eve, one day, a descendant of yours is going to do battle with Satan. Satan's going to hurt him, but he's going to destroy Satan. Sometime later, long time later, 
Abraham, Sarah, the entire world. I'm going to do something through you to bless the entire world. Coming from you is this blessing. Time goes on. Talks to Moses. Moses, you are my mouthpiece. You are speaking to the people on my behalf. But one day, there's going to be a prophet who's greater than you, who's going to be a a much better spokesman for me and represent me oh so much better. He's coming. And even not just with the heroes of the faith, some of the villains, God even spoke through them. There's a guy named Balaam who God kind of peeled back the curtain. He said, whoa, someday from from the people of Judah, there's going to be a ruler come to bring justice. He speaks to David and he says, a ruler is going to come from your family that's going to forever rule in justice. He speaks all kinds of things to Isaiah. He says, there's going to be a baby that's going to bring me close to you. And that baby's going to have the government on his shoulders and he's going to bring justice and peace. By the way, there's a servant who's coming who's going to stand in your place, who's going to accept all of the judgment and punishment and wrath that your wickedness deserves on your behalf so that you can walk in freedom in relationship with me. That's coming. To Daniel, he said, well, I gave a vision. And out of heaven came somebody, like a a son of man, with the clouds. And he came into the earth and he set up a kingdom that rules over everything and lasts forever. And he does the same with the psalmists. He does the same with Zechariah and Malachi, all these different prophets, different people scattered through the historical books. Every once in a while, God says, here's what I'm doing. Here's what's coming. Here's what's happening. So it's a very real thing when the book of Hebrews actually starts by saying long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke He spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, right? He's he's had this plan, he's working out, he's been telling people all of these things along the way, and now he's spoken the final word, Jesus. The ultimate answer, the conclusion to the story, Jesus. He's spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Everything belongs to him, through whom he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, that thing I've been talking to you all this time, the fact that you're in a Goldilocks world and you can never quite get it right, you can never quite find that just right zone, there's always gonna be a fight, that battle has been taken up by Jesus. And he's come, he's the final answer, he is the perfect representation of me, he is the perfect revelation of me, he is the one who has all the power and he is doing what is necessary. And then as he unfolds the book of Hebrews, he makes his case. And he's making his case not to pagan people that need to be convinced of who God is or Jesus is from God. He's he's making his case to believers and people that are friendly with believers who are of Jewish background, people who've grown up worshiping God in the way that he had once designed. And he says, that's all fine and good, but what's happened now is greater. You need to cling to this new reality because it's greater. Jesus is greater than the angels 
as great as they are. Jesus is greater than Moses, the lawgiver and founder of the nation. He's greater. Jesus is greater than the priest who day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, represented you to God and God to you who would do the sacrifices that made it possible to be in relationship with him. But it was a, he, he's brought a greater covenant. It's an eternal covenant. It's not one that has to be renewed moment by moment, day by day, because he's done the greater sacrifice. Once for all, he has sacrificed himself. And now he's sat down at the right hand of God because the work is complete. There's no more sacrifice to be made. We don't need bulls, we don't need goats, we don't need rams, we don't need any animals. Jesus has paid that penalty. He's been the greater sacrifice. And he now offers the greater reality so that you can be, be a citizen in the greater city that God is himself architecting. You are receiving the greater kingdom that is unshakable. All of these things that have been hanging over and, 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 and tripping up humanity for all these years, they've all been captured up in Jesus. He is now brought the entire endeavor, the entire plan to this one focused point. In Jesus, God's plan comes together. You can be made right. You were made for relationship and you can have it. You were made for partnership and you can have it. And all of the things, even the best things that we experienced are fading. This isn't a shadow, this is real. We're no longer outside the curtain wondering what's going on in the Holy of Holies. We've been brought in to the very Holy of Holies, the very throne room of heaven because of Jesus. Now the plan is still working its way out. He hasn't perfected everything. And so all of his followers still live in this tension point. There's still a measure of Goldilocks to all of our lives. And what he says is, but I need you to stay faithful. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't back off. I'll give you what you need. Because Jesus has entered into this world and he has suffered like you've suffered and he's experienced everything you've experienced except for sin, he can relate. And he can meet you in gentleness and he can meet you in understanding, and he can give you access. You have instant and intimate access to the throne room of God, and you can boldly come and find grace and mercy for every need that you have. And I've brought you together. Don't abandon each other. Don't run away from each other. Don't duck and cover. Don't hide. In fact, think about how you can stir one another, how you can help one another, how you can encourage one another to love and good deeds so that you can continue this journey. And as you run the race that is set out for you, don't grow weary. It's a long race, it's a marathon. Don't grow weary. It can be done. People before you have done it, some of them are bigger knuckleheads than you. Read their stories, and yet they still were faithful. Faith was still preserved because they still trusted God and God carried them through and he will carry you through too. And Jesus himself is the pioneer. He's the author. He's the completer. He's the one who's gone before. And he ran the course that was set out for him. I guess the hurricane has arrived, hasn't it? <laughs> Not too bad yet. 
Well, God interrupted my story about God. <laughs> I have no idea what I was saying. So Jesus, anyone want to help me out here? <laughs> don't grow weary. Yeah, don't, whatever you do, don't grow weary. Right, Jesus ran his race, and he could see what was before him, and it was a painful journey. It was a painful journey, but he ran it with joy because he knew it was coming. You do the same. Right, he spent all of these chapters, all of this time, taking us into the, the depths of the entire history of humanity and into all that God's been doing and how he's finally brought it to its culmination point and how he said, look, this is what you have in Christ and I need you to persevere, I need you to stay with it, I need you to be faithful, I will carry you, I've got you. And after he finishes all of that, then he comes to this prayer. And I think this is not just the cherry on the top. This is his passionate plea for his people to say, here's what you need in light of all of that. Here's what I'm asking God to do. Here's what I'm asking you to lean into. Here's what I'm seeking on your behalf. Verse 20, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. There are two main threads that are intertwined there. And those threads are relationship and partnership. The two things we were made for. He said, this is my prayer. Jesus has done all of this. He's greater than all of this. He's brought this to fruition. You've got to walk this in a mixed reality, and my prayer is that you would genuinely experience this relationship with God and this partnership with God as you were designed for. Now, as we look at this prayer, he adds a lot of embellishing words there because there's a lot of richness he wants to put in. So let's follow the, the thread to make sure we're understanding the point first. So if we were to just read the thread, it would sound like this. May God equip you with everything to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. That's the main thread. Here's my prayer, that God would equip you to do everything in his will, that he'd equip you with every good thing for doing his will that he would be working in us that which pleases him. That's partnership. He's praying that that partnership would be effective in our daily life. And it's a partnership that is completely entangled in relationship. We'll, we'll come back to all of the things he says about Jesus because that's where the relationship is really embedded. But even as the partnership unfolds, He's, he's saying that not only do I want God to do these things for you, I want him to be doing this in you. So it's not just, it, it, don't, don't picture God as, as like the, the quartermaster, the divine quarter, Q, right? And you're James Bond and you go in and you've, you've wrecked the car yet again. 
He's like, he rolls his eyes, oh, Bond, I fixed it, and here's the new things that are in it, and here's your new pen, and your new gun, and your new this, and your new that, and there you go, you're trained, and I've given you the equipment, go out, there's the mission, go do it. That's not what it's saying about God. He's not simply giving me stuff to prepare me so that I can go, here's the roadmap, and here's the tools, now go do it. Because the second part of the phrase is working in us. Right now the author includes himself, and he's saying, he's not, I'm not just saying he's, he's gonna give you this, he's actually working in us. It's, it's not just God is passing on to me things, it's, it's that we're in this partnership that's so relationally connected that God's actually, that God's actually the strength of it, God's actually the force behind it, God's actually the motivating force, and it's like a dance. We are doing a dance with God, right? Just married off one of my daughters, and uh, I had to dance. And I don't dance, I'm terrible at dancing, but I did it anyway. And after we did the father-daughter dance, I sat down, my my other daughter got married a year and a half before that, so I sat down at my table and I said, I'm never going to have to dance again for the rest of my life. And that was a great thought to me until my other daughter came and said, come on, dad, and coaxed me out. It's like, oh, I gotta do this, right? So you picture the father-daughter dance and the bride's obviously beautiful and graceful and the the father's kind of just happy to be there and clunking around and, you know, it's like there's a dance going on. You may be much more graceful than I am and dancing's a beautiful thing, but that's not the picture. Picture the father-daughter dance when the daughter is four and the father puts her feet on his and then he dances He's not just saying, hey, God's gonna give you the things that you need and he's gonna partner with you in this journey. He's actually gonna put your feet on his. He's going to take the steps. It's his power, it's his working. There's this divine human interaction that goes beyond just understanding what it is that I'm supposed to do and using the things he's given me. Both of those are part of it. But then there's this greater reality that says actually God's working through the whole thing. He's changing my will, he's changing my vision, he's changing my heart, he's empowering my actions, he's intervening sometimes directly and supernaturally, he is actively, personally engaged, we are partners, and he is the senior, active partner. He's saying, look, all of these things we've talked about, here's my prayer, that you would experience the active partnership of God in your life. He's gonna give you every good thing that you need. Now in our world, where we find ourselves fighting so often, it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always feel like he's given me everything that I need. That's why we are frustrated. That's why we struggle. But there's two things I wanna point out. One is, everything that I need to live the good life, which properly understood, his will. His will. I think the good life is fill in the blank. We all have our dreams. I want to make this much money. I want to buy this kind of car. I want to live here. I want to marry this person. We're going to have this many kids. I'm going to get this education. I'm going to take this vacation. Retirement's going to look this way. We have all these dreams. Some of them are worthy. Some of them are kind of shallow. But we have dreams. And we think that's a good life. But I think... I think if God actually gave me everything I want, that would be very close to hell. 
be horrible. I don't see that up front, but I've, I've lived long enough that I look backwards and go, I'm glad he didn't do that for me. Glad he didn't do that for me. Glad he didn't do that for me. That would have been horrible. Right, he doesn't, one of the challenge points, one of the rub points for us is we still think we know the good life, which is actually what Adam and Eve said. We wanted to find, he's saying, no, 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 no. I, Jesus came, and all of this stuff we've been talking about is to restore. So I have to be God. I get to be God in this relationship, and I'll tell you what's good, but it actually is. It actually is good, and then I will give you every good thing for that to happen. You know what Paul says in Romans 8 when he says, look, he gave his son. Is he gonna withhold any good thing from us? The writer of Hebrews is praying that that would become my, my reality, that I would be able to experience. And then he's got all these words in there about Jesus. Everything's woven together. There's actually some descriptors of God himself too. He's the God of peace. It gives us a sense of what he's about. He brought Jesus back from the dead. It gives us a sense of his power and then it starts talking about Jesus. He is the Lord. He's the sovereign one. But he's our Lord. There's a relationship there. Our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, he's the one who has taken responsibility for my well-being. He has taken it upon himself to say, I will oversee your thriving. Just like a shepherd watches out for sheep, that's what I'm gonna do for you. And he has given an eternal covenant, one that's stable and never gonna change by his own blood. He's given everything for this to be true. That covenant relationship is mine forever. Right, and then the prayer that he would equip us and he'd be working in us, which is pleasing in his sight. And all of this through Jesus Christ. It's all wrapped up in my relationship to Christ, my union with Christ, my walking in Christ. Like this whole passage comes down to the, basically the fundamental start of everything. I was created for relationship and I was created for partnership and that was destroyed and Jesus has fixed everything and in him, I can be restored to this relationship that changes everything and I can be restored to this ongoing partnership in the world. Now the world itself is not yet made complete so there's a tension that runs through it and the agenda of God has shifted slightly because it's now a redemptive agenda. I've got to recover, reshape, restore things and I will use you in that process. So there's still a role for me to live in partnership and in relationship. And as he brings all of these grand truths of Hebrews to conclusion, he says, Jesus, who is superior to everything, is the one through whom God is working in your life. He's mediating. He's empowering. He's guiding. He's gone before. He's supporting. God is going to do these things through you because of him. Walk in this relationship and live out this partnership. Take these grand theological truths and let them change now. Let them change your now. So, to kind of bring that maybe to just a little practical edge, the two things that the um, blessing comes down to is the presence of God 
in my life, that relationship, and then the partnership with God. So let's ask a couple of questions for ourselves. Let's start with the relationship side. Where's my relationship with God? Everything rides on that, right? It's not I do these things in life to have relationship. It's I have relationship with God and out of that flows the details of life. Those things get flipped around so easily. Somebody I was talking with this week gave me his testimony. And he'd grown up in a church setting where he was working really hard to be faithful, religious, moral, all of that. But there was not actually that relationship. And one time as a young adult, he was listening to a sermon for the however manyth time and God spoke to him. He said, actually spoke into my heart and said, how's the life you're living working out for you? <laughs> and it's not. Don't you want to embrace the forgiveness and acceptance that I've always offered you? All right, it was a simple shift. You gotta surrender, you gotta let go, you gotta stop being your own little human God and let me be God. Jesus has done everything. Let him be your savior. And my friend did, and that transformed his life because it was now based on relationship. So the question for us starts there. Do I have the relationship? Not that my religious, not am I trying to be moral or faithful, but do I actually have a relationship with God where I've just surrendered to him? Because of Jesus, I'm accepted, and that's it, end of story. Nothing I've done, only what he's done. If not, that's where I have to start. Many of us I know have a relationship, and like all relationships, the vitality ebbs and flows. And at the end of the day, God is the one who's the primary initiator and sustainer. But he has said things to me, to us, about how do I put myself in the place where God can do what he chooses to do and where God can make his presence known and felt in the biggest ways. And there's a few key things. If you look at Ephesians 5, and um, talks about being filled with the Spirit. It's not that I do something, it's that God does that to me and I put myself in the place where that happens. Well, the next section talks basically about life in the family of God, worship and prayer and mutually edifying each other. So that's always a good place to start. If your relationship with God is faded right now, start with the basics. Ask him about your prayer life. Maybe there's something to adjust there. Ask him about your life in the word. Maybe there's something to adjust there. Ask him about your life in the family. That's not a nice optional add-on. That's absolutely central to what God intends. We need each other. It's how he works. The worship, the heart that I have. What is my relationship like? Because everything flows from that as he brings this massive theological tome to a conclusion, his prayer is centered in our relationship. How's your relationship right now? And then the second area is partnership. What is God calling you to do, right? He, he's gonna do it, he's gonna put your feet on his and then he's gonna lead the dance. But where is he trying to lead the dance? What is he asking of you? How does he want you to partner? Is there some act of service that he's calling you to? Maybe you're reluctant to and you've been wrestling over some sacrifice. 
some mission, somebody to love? What is it? We don't always have to have some big clear roadmap of here's the next 42 things. What's the next thing in front of me that I know would honor God? Am I doing that or am I reluctant? Right? The partnership with God is, is, is responding yes to those things. Is there something he's saying, whoa, focus here. Right? As, we, as we wrap up all this amazing reality, he said, don't grow weary. It's gonna be hard. You may even suffer. Don't, don't duck and cover. Stay faithful. I will, I will carry you through this. But the concluding prayer is, here's how it's gonna work. I am going to be the anchor point. I'm gonna give you every good thing that you need. And I'm gonna be doing the one working in you. And it's because of this relationship that you have with me through Jesus that is active in your life. That's gonna make it work. And that's gonna make it work not just when things are going smoothly, but when things are going hard. You know, when I was struggling with a really stupid thing, what I needed to do and what I did do is slow down and pray. Right? Don't always do that, but I did. It's like, all right, Lord. Ah. You know, when you can't pray because you can't put it into words because the only words I have are, Argh. that was one of those prayers. But God, God met me there. Right? The people I was with this week that were in much more challenging circumstances, very hard things, God will help them through it. He won't make it easy. He won't make it painless. But he has promised to be with them and not to fail them. My prayer is that we would walk under this blessing, that God would, in fact, give us every good thing for his will, that he'd be working his will in us because we're so tightly connected with him and so responsive to him. I'd like to ask the ushers to come. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace in my life. And I thank you, thank you for sending your son. Sending your son to change the nature of reality. The struggle we've had since the beginning. The whole nature of that battle has shifted because Jesus has accomplished what needed to be accomplished. And Lord, I know all the details haven't worked out and life is still a daily battle. But it's different because we are yours. Your spirit is within us. And we are under your blessing, and I pray that very blessing on us, that you would give us everything we need, and that you would work in us everything that needs to be worked. And Lord, I pray for our relationships with you. Would you draw us close? Lord, there may be some here or watching that don't actually have a vital relationship. Would you draw them to yourself? Thank you for Jesus and all that he's done and for the fact that ultimately he's the one who holds us fast. In his name we pray, amen.